Hi, I'm Robin Black, and this is Robin Thinks Deconstructing Books That Wrecked Us. As children, we are taught to listen to adults and other authorities. But adults teach us very different things, and we end up trying to operate on very different messages. The older we get, the more those conflicting messages begin piling up until we no longer know what is right or true. Deconstruction is the picking apart of these various messages to understand which ones work for us and which ones don't. In this podcast, I will deconstruct some of the most popular books in Christianity to determine which ones have harmful messages and what those messages are, so you can decide for yourself which ones are worth keeping and which can be thrown away. Okay, so today I want to talk about Genesis, or as I like to call it, our origin story. Um, Whether you believe that uh, Adam and Eve were real, or whether you believe um, they're just an allegory, uh, I believe, I feel like um, it has a lot to say about where we are today so there's a lot of controversy in churches you'll you'll hear a lot of time you'll hear a lot of talk about uh you know the the way things are meant to be or uh things are god ordained to be this way okay um and we talk a lot about you know men are this and women are that men are this and women are that and and a lot of times uh those things are true but what they're but what they're not addressing and what they're not getting to is um a lot of the ways in which men and women are different are due to girls and boys being socialized very differently. So what ends up happening is um, you have girls that are taught to act a certain way in certain situations or to hold certain values that are very different from how boys are taught to act in that in those same situations or the values they're taught to hold. Okay. So, uh, what ends up happening then is when we grow up, of course you end up with men and women being very different because they have been socialized differently. Uh, here's an example. You know, we hear often about how emotional women are, you know, they're so emotional. The truth is that human beings are emotional, but what what makes the difference between men and women is that girls are usually allowed to express emotion. When little girls cry, it's not as common for uh, parents to shame their daughters for crying. It's just expected that, you know, this is what girls do. Uh, girls cry. And, and we just kind of accept the girls cry. But when little boys cry, it's a lot more common, uh, especially beyond a certain age, to be shamed by their father and their peers for crying, right? So it doesn't mean that women are literally more emotional than men or boys, but it does mean that girls and women are uh, allowed to express emotion and be in touch with emotion a lot more than boys and men are, okay? So if we were born into this world and we were never taught 
What does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? How are boys supposed to act? How are girls supposed to act? If we never had any of that, would we still have these same differences as adults? Okay. Um, here's another example. It, it's very common for women to wear makeup. Most women wear makeup. There are very, very, very few women that don't wear makeup. Um, and the assumption is that women like to look pretty or that women want to look pretty. And the question is, is that actually true or is it that girls grow up watching their mothers put on makeup and it becomes a part of our identity as women? And so there are, there's so many of these things that, that literally shouldn't have anything to do with one's gender, but they're, they are social constructs. They, uh, society has decided uh, women do this and men do this, but those are social constructs. These are not like little girls do not come into the world wearing makeup. We can look around us and see, you know, where we are right now. But the question is, why? Why do we do these things? Why do men do certain things? And why do women do certain things? Is it really because we're born so differently or is it because we are taught to be very different? Like society has decided women do these things and men do these things or girls do these things and boys do these things. And we were taught to do these things and therefore we became a certain way in adulthood because it is what we were socially conditioned to do in childhood, okay? So what I find fascinating about Genesis and sort of like the origin story is that if God created like the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, it means that that should be representative of how things are actually supposed to be. And so a lot of times I find that, especially in churches um, and especially patriarchal churches, there's sort of this idea, and I think this is found kind of throughout love and respect. There's this idea that this is the way things are and this is the way they're supposed to be or this is the way God ordained that they be. And I don't think that's true. And I think that goes back to Genesis. And one of the things I want to say about Genesis is um, a lot of how I have come to understand Genesis has come from reading a lot of psychology and sociology books that ask a lot of these same questions, such as, yes, it is true that men do this and women do this, but is that actually, you know, it's the nature versus nurture. Is that actually their natural inclination or are they doing what they have been taught to do by society, very often by their mothers and fathers that were taught by their mothers and fathers that were taught by their mothers and fathers. So you see these uh, these patterns and these habits and these behaviors, they often, they just keep getting passed on generation to generation to generation. Um, especially if we don't stop and ask ourselves, is this actually how things are supposed to be? You know, you hear pastors kind of religious leaders throwing around things like the scripture is clear. 
you know, they talk about the inerrancy of scripture or like the infallible word of God. Okay. The truth is there's, there's all kinds of like weird little random things that don't make sense. The, you know, what we call the Bible is it's actually a compilation of 66 books that were written over a period of uh, roughly give or take about 4,000 years. They didn't have MacBook Pros, right? They didn't have word processing. So it's just, it's a very like complex book and there's always going to be sort of like these weird little uh, discrepancies and things. And that's why I personally believe that it's meant to be wrestled with and struggled with it it's not crystal clear it's not you don't just like read it and immediately know all the mysteries of the universe okay so god uh you know creates adam out of the dust the dirt the ground okay and that's something that i find very interesting because one of the things that science will tell us is that our bodies are made out of all of the exact same things that are in soil like the dirt right and we have so much sickness and disease in America. Like, you know, we supposedly have one of the best, like, healthcare systems. We have all this, like, advanced technology. And yet we are just sick. We are just a very sick nation, okay? And one of the things that I'm very struck by is that our bodies are made out of all the same stuff that's in dirt and... um our, you know, our bodies use all of these minerals that are found in soil and they, we actually use them. It's like gas in a gas tank, right? We, we use them up. We need constant re replenishment, uh, magnesium, potassium, sodium, calcium, like all these minerals that are found in soil are also the same minerals that our body uses. And so what's happened in America is that rather than doing what is necessary to ensure that our soil is very healthy so that it can grow food properly, we uh, dump a bunch of nitrogen on it, right? Nitrogen-based fertilizer. And what happens with nitrogen is nitrogen actually causes food to grow really fast, which is, which is you know, great for capitalism, but it allows it to grow in really nutrient-poor soil. So then you're, you have like a double whammy where we're growing food in soil that doesn't actually have all the nutrients in it that it needs in the first place. And then we're putting a bunch of um, like nitrogen-based fertilizer that causes it to grow really fast, which even further depletes the nutrient profile of that food, okay? Then to make matters worse, we pick it and we process it. So we're basically killing all of the like vitamins that are in that food and then a lot of we'll like fry it in oil we just do all these things to our food so there's there's literally no nutrients left in our food and then we eat and the problem is what we're, what we're not grasping and what we're not understanding is when you're hungry your body doesn't just want food it needs nutrients and there are specific nutrients that it's looking for which is you know why you crave certain foods okay so the problem is we eat all these foods that are completely lacking in nutrients and then you can eat a lot of food and still not be getting the nutrients that you need and that's what your body is like craving essentially so what I find really interesting is there's this really great system whereby if you take a seed 
and you put the seed in actual fertile soil, that seed will absorb all of these nutrients from the soil, which is, by the way, is what our body needs. This is why we need to eat. It's not about calories. It's all of these different nutrients that we need. Vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin K, vitamin D, um, uh, all the B vitamins, niacin, riboflavin, you know, all these things that like we've kind of vaguely heard of, but we don't know what they are. And this is really a big problem. We are very uneducated about the nutrients that we actually need. We, uh, you know, most, especially women, we've spent our entire lives, uh, calorie counting. That's all we've looked at is how many calories, how many calories. And then of course, you know, fat was bad. And so this is pretty much all we know. Meanwhile, there's like a good 300 different nutrients that we need every day and we have no idea what they are. So we can't figure out why we're so sick. Um, and a lot of it is because, uh, there's this really great system whereby you put a seed in the soil, the seed absorbs, 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 it absorbs all these nutrients, it grows into a plant, it just keeps absorbing, 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 absorbing. And then suddenly a fruit or a vegetable uh, like comes out the end that's absorbed all of these nutrients and then we pick the fruit or the vegetable and we eat it, and then all of those nutrients that came out of the soil is supposed to go into our body. It's this really amazing system. And by the way, fresh grown fruits and vegetables are delicious. So there's this really great system whereby we need all the nutrients that are in dirt, but dirt tastes like dirt, but there's this other really great way where we can get all of those nutrients in something that doesn't taste like dirt, okay? So this is the other thing that I find very interesting about Genesis is that that kind of explains that too. We hear a lot about how our bodies are made of the same stuff as the stars, and that's true because the stars are made of the same stuff that dirt is made of. And so Genesis tells us, whether you believe it or not, that's fine. But Genesis tells us that Adam was made of dirt, which is interesting because when you put a body back in the ground in, I don't know, a hundred years or so, it turns back into dirt. This is why in funerals we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We, uh, you know, uh, according to Genesis, God made Adam out of the dirt. Uh, we need the nutrients that come from dirt to replenish our bodies, to replenish the nutrients that our bodies are using up. And then when we die, you put the body back in the ground and it turns back into dirt. Um, so there's like a symmetry to this that I find very interesting. And you can believe or not believe that Genesis is true, but, uh, I, I find so much symmetry in it that's actually, it's backed up by science. Like the Bible and science are actually not in disagreement with each other. Um, kind of. There, there's some loopholes to that, but I'm not going to get into them. Um, so anyway, so God makes um, Adam out of the dirt. And then here's one of the things that I find really interesting. Okay, so, so Adam, uh, God makes... Adam. And then the first thing that God does 
um, he kind of gives him a job. But but here's the best part. He doesn't just give Adam a job. Uh, God starts bringing all of the animals to Adam and asking him to name them. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was the name. Okay, so this is really interesting to me because, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to this more later, like where I kind of get this from, I believe that every person has two needs, okay? We need purpose and we need relationship. We needed a reason for getting out of bed in the morning. We, just, we need something to do, right? And what's interesting to me about Genesis is here God created Adam and the very first thing that he did was give Adam something to do, okay? But here's the important part. God didn't just say, hey, Adam, I want you to go name all the animals, right? God brought the animals to Adam. See, to me, uh, you know, I had a hard time for a long time with, with the idea of God as a parent because like so many people, uh, I, I don't want to say that I had I had bad parents or shitty parents, but I had foster parents, okay? So I was like... You know, I spent my early childhood kind of being bounced from home to home to home to home. And then I did have really abusive, um, like, stepdads. Um, when I was 13, I went to go live with my mom. And so um, her husband was very abusive. And then uh, when I was 19, I actually went back and lived with her for about nine months. And her boyfriend um, that I also had to live with because uh, he lived with her, uh, he was also highly abusive. And so the idea of God as a father was really difficult for me um, for a long time. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that um, God is God is the like the perfect father. He's not the father that most of us are used to. Um, or he's not the image of a father that most of us have. Okay. And so... But when you think of like a really good dad, one of the things you'll probably think about is, you know, like they let their kids help them in things that they do. And moms do this too, right? Um, mom doesn't actually need you to help her bake or cook or grandma doesn't need you to help. They don't need your help, but they ask for your help because uh, it, it's a bonding experience. They're They're bonding with you. And so what I find really interesting about this is that you know, this is what God did. He didn't, I don't think he just, he didn't make Adam because he just wanted someone to rule over. He brought Adam the animals. And I just kind of picture, you know, Adam, Adam kind of like, you know, sounding out these names. That's a, um, a, 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 a gorilla, gorilla, gorilla. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, him and God like having a good laugh as he's, as he's naming these, you know, making, just making these weird sort of crazy sounds or whatever. But this is, it's a project that God did with Adam. And I think this is something that we're critically missing. 
And the next book that I'm going to start on next week, and the reason that I wanted to talk about Genesis right now is I think it's going to be a good transition between these two books. Because next week I'm going to start on The Circle Maker, uh, which is written by Mark Bettison, which is uh, it's what I call the Christian rah-rah books, right? It's all this like, you were made for greatness and, you know, God has such big plans for you. And it's, you know, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, it's just, it's kind of exhausting. And I, I think man puts his imprint on a lot of things. But before the fall, when we're in the garden, we have God giving Adam a task, but not because Adam, you know, not because God's like, Adam, you have to work. There's no free lunch. You have to work. It, you know, God came up with this project that he could do with Adam as a type of a bonding experience, okay? And um, Adam has the animals, right? And one of the things that I found interesting, like on some level, we know our connection with animals or or, our need for animals. Because what happened, as soon as um, the pandemic set in and we all knew we had to go in lockdown, what happened? Everybody went out and got an animal. Like it's instinctive in us okay so here we have Adam's in the garden and he has all the animals right and he has this little project with God and they're bonding and they're having a good time and yet God still says there's something missing okay and 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 the way that I phrase this the way that I put it or I explain it is what's missing is Adam had companionship but he didn't have relationship. And, and to me, in my world, there is a big difference between companionship and relationship. And, and here, to me, here's the difference between companionship and relationship. A companion, uh, it, you know, that's your dog or your cat, right? Like they snuggle, they need to be fed. There's, you know, you have a little bit of responsibility for them, okay? But your cat is never going to say, you know, Dave you can kind of be an asshole sometimes. An animal is, is never really going to help you grow or mature or um, what the Bible calls like iron sharpens iron, right? They're never really going to like rub up against you and, and sort of force you to become a better person. So this is the difference between companionship and relationship. Relationship is so much harder because relationship forces you to grow and that is something that is never going to happen with companionship okay um I need to backtrack a little bit so after God made Adam before he made Eve God says to Adam you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die Okay, then he knocks Adam out, makes Eve, and then uh, we go to chapter three, and that's when we have the serpent come in. You know, at this point in time, Adam and Eve are the only two people on earth, right? They're in a garden. They have plenty of food to eat. Um, There's no Xboxes. There's no Apple um, computers. There's no uh, iPads, iPhones, uh, MacBook Pros. None of the above. There's nothing to buy. There's no currency, 
okay? Um, they're not having sex yet. There's no other, there's no other women around to say tempt Adam. There's no um, department stores to tempt Eve. None of these things exist. So they're living in paradise. So the thing that I don't think enough people really ask themselves is what can you tempt people with that live in paradise? All of their needs are met. Um, It's kind of like if you're independently wealthy, you have all the money you could possibly need. Anything that you want, you can have anything that you want. You don't have to work another day in your life. What do you tempt someone with that has everything they could possibly want? And this is something that I don't feel gets covered enough or at all when pastors talk about uh, Genesis and the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Okay, what do you tempt them with? So remember, um, God told Adam, don't eat of the fruit, the tree of knowledge and evil, knowledge of good and evil, or if you do, you'll die, right? If you eat of it. So then we have, we're back in the garden and the serpent says, uh, this is um, Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Okay. Now, did God say you must not touch the fruit? No, God did not say you must not touch the fruit. All God said is you must not eat the fruit. So here's a question. Where did Eve get the idea that if they touched the fruit, they would die? Who do you think told Eve about the rule? Well, we kind of know that because there's only one other person in the garden. And who would that be? That would be Adam. So here we are. We're in the garden. And what's the very first thing that we have happening here? Adam is already embellishing, right? God did not say, if you touch the fruit, you will die. All he said is, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. Just picture this, right? Um, if she thinks, if she's been told, we can't eat it and we can't touch it. If we touch it, we die. But that's not what God said, okay? What could the what could the serpent tempt them with that would even make them tempt fate in regard to the fruit? What does the serpent says? He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil okay do you understand what that that is the power of god does this sound very familiar to you at all you get to be the decider you get to decide what is good and what is bad who is good and who is bad and what is evil you get to make the rules Does that sound at all 
like something that we might struggle with to this very day. Do you have any idea how popular court shows are? We love playing judge and jury, okay? That is the power of God. This is what the serpent tempted Adam and Eve with. You will be like God. So we have Eve here and she knows what Adam has told her that if they touch the fruit, they'll die. So let's just say that she works up her courage and she, bink, she touches it like real quick, like boop, just real quick like that, right? Does she die? No, she doesn't die because God never said, if you touch the apple, you die, okay? But think about this. So Eve thinks that the rule is, if you touch the apple, you die. So she touches the apple and nothing happens. Because God didn't say, if you touch the apple, you die. God said, if you eat of the apple, you die. But Adam has told Eve, oh, no, 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 if we touch it. And so Eve goes over and she touches it and she doesn't die. Nothing happens. She's fine. Okay. So when, when, when she thinks the rule is you touch it, you die. And then she touches it and she doesn't die. What do you think she thinks about eating it? Because Adam told her, if you eat it, you die. If you touch it, you die. She touched it. She didn't die. So she probably doesn't trust the part about eating it either, right? And in one sense, she's right. She reaches up, she eats the apple. Does she die? No, she does not. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it, okay? So this idea that Eve went off all by herself and was like, you know, deceived by the snake and then deceived Adam is not true. He was right there. It says right there. He was right there, okay? So Adam and Eve were both right there. They eat the fruit and they don't die, right? She didn't die when she touched it. They didn't die when they ate it. But all of a sudden, the the serpent was actually right. What happened? Now their eyes are open. And here's the thing that, that I believe there was nothing different about that fruit. Like God just kind of went eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, that, that tree right there, you can't eat of that tree. What was important about that is what that tree did is it gave them free will. It gave them a choice. Okay, they weren't captives of God. They weren't God's prisoners. They had free will. He, he gave them the ability to do what he said or not do what he said. That is the essence of free will. The whole reason that that tree was there or that he designated that tree, there's probably nothing special about that tree. The only thing that tree represented was free will. They could, they could do what he said. They could not do what he said. It was up to them. That's what free will is, okay? So without that tree... There was no free will. So what happened is when they ate the fruit, they were, they rejected God. They said, no, we want to make our own decisions. Right? That's what the serpent said. He said, you will have the power of God. And that's exactly what they sort of took on themselves. They said, 
we're not going to listen to God. We're going to follow our own instinct, our own wisdom. We're going to do what we think is right. That's the knowledge of good and evil right there. As soon as they did something that God had said not to do, they became aware. The serpent was right. Their eyes were opened. And now this was where like right and wrong, good and bad entered into the world because they decided to do the one thing that God said, don't do that. That's free will. They exercised their free will. Nothing wrong with that in one sense. And and there's this, um, you know, if you if you listen to a lot of, I don't know, like evangelicals or just basically a lot of Christians, you know, what I've found is like the overarching kind of attitude in this story is, you know, God's angry. I don't think God's angry. He gave them a choice. And I think on some level, he always knew that at some point in time, they were going to do exactly what they were going to do. And so all of a sudden they look down, they're like, oh my gosh, we're naked because their eyes are open because now all of a sudden they, they recognize, they see, they see differences. They recognize, oh wow, we're different. We have like different parts. Oh my, that like, you have that is yours better than mine or is mine better than yours or you know and that was where the shame came in because now so it wasn't just good and bad that entered into the world but better and best okay so one of the most destructive and damaging things that entered into the world at that moment was competition it's not just which one is good or which one is bad it's better and best this is what entered into the world at that moment competition does that sound familiar so then god comes along and then this is the infamous um you know curse supposedly now i don't personally believe that god cursed adam and eve okay so here here's my personal interpretation of this is that um, it's like if you're, uh, let's say you have a teenager, right? And your teenager goes out and gets drunk for the first time, okay? Um, and they come home and they're, I mean, they're wasted. They're like shit-faced, right? And you say, oh, my child. You say, tomorrow you are going to be praying to the porcelain gods and your head is going to throb and your eyes are going to feel like they're bulging out of your sockets. And... You know, you give them some aspirin. You give them your best headache medicine, okay? You're not punishing your child for drinking, right? A hangover is the natural consequence of drinking. So I don't think that God cursed Adam and Eve. I think he he just, he told them these are now the consequences that you've, you know, introduced because you made this choice and it's you know it's like when your kid goes out and drinks right like you're not angry at your child but there's going to be consequences and and what do you do you give them your best uh hangover remedy right but you can't take away their hangover there is a consequence for the choice that they have made and you can do your best to help kind of 
alleviate those consequences as best you can, but you can't take away their hangover. It is the natural consequence of the choice that they have just made, okay? It's also not the natural state. You know, the the point or the purpose is not for them to just remain in a hangover for the rest of their life, right? The the place that we want to get to, the state that we want to get to is the is the pre-drinking stage, okay? So when a lot of people talk about, you know, the consequences of the fall, they're not wrong, but that's not actually how things are supposed to be. That's not how God wanted them to be. That's not even how God ordained them to be. That is the result of the choice that we made or that, you know, Adam and Eve made. And the way that we return to the state of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So God comes and he finds them in the garden. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Okay, does that, I mean, any parents out there, does that sound at all like, you know, your kids? Like, what's that in your mouth? Right? Um, did you eat that cookie on the counter that I told you not to eat? Uh, right? Does that sound very familiar to any parents out there? Okay, are you angry at your child because they ate the cookie on the counter? Not really. Okay. Um, and I think this is, you know, this is the same that we're, we're just, religion creates this angry God that I just don't think actually exists. So God says, he says, who told you that you were naked? And, um, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man says, what does man said? We all know what man says. The man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some from the fruit and I ate it. It's her fault, right? Does that sound at all familiar? Does any of this sound at all like things that happen all the time today? This is why, you know, I believe the Genesis story explains so much. Um, and the Lord said to the woman, uh, what is this you have done? And what did the woman say? The serpent deceived me. It's his fault. The serpent, the blame game right? Does that sound familiar? The blame get hot potato. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. He did it, right? The blame game. Are any of these things like ringing any bells? Like they might still exist to this very day. So he, he puts a curse on the serpent. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really understand the serpent's curse. So I'm not going to deal with the serpent's curse. We're going to get to, we have these wonderful, amazing tools. And one of the biggest ones that I love so much is called the Strong's Concordance. And it will tell you, um, like the original Hebrew, it will tell you um, uh, like the part of speech that it is. It will tell you all the other places in the Bible where that particular part of speech is used and how it's used. And what's always interesting to me is how many times, especially when it comes to men and women, it will be translated one way in one verse and then translated a totally different way in a different verse, specifically um, to sort of create these differences between men and women. And this is one of those places because 
in in verse 16 where it says i will make says i will make your pains in childbearing very severe right um this the 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 part of speech that is it's called the infinitive absolute and it means that it doesn't need a um it doesn't need a modifier Okay, and and what's really important to notice about this is this infinitive absolute. God, uh, you know, in this verse, um, when it says to the woman, he said it uses this infinitive absolute and it says, I will make. But when he's when he talks to Adam and he and he start he uses like the curse against Adam. It's this same infinitive absolute. But in that sense, it says cursed is the ground because of you, right? It just means the ground is cursed. He doesn't say I will curse the ground. He just says the ground is cursed. But on the eve part of it, it says I will make. It doesn't just say your pains will be great. It says I will make your pains great. And and I believe that the reason that this is so important is because of what comes next because he says I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children, okay? And then this is the part that I think, you know, men have translated this to make sure that it seems like this is, this is God's will or this is what God is making happen. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Um, I wrote a whole entire article on this and I'm going to um, post a link in the show notes, but I think this is one more place this has been very mistranslated. And I believe that what this is actually talking about is your desire will be for your husband and your desire will rule over you. In other words, remember how earlier I said that um, I believe that every person has two need. We have a desire for relationship and we have a desire for purpose, right? We need purpose and relationship. And I believe that what happened here is that purpose and relationship became divided. And so now Eve's never ending quest is going to be for relationship. Okay. Um, I think it's your, the nature of your relationship with your children will always be painful and your desire for your husband will rule over you, okay? And one of the reasons that I think this is partly because if we just look at society, if we look at the world around us, if we, you know, when you read the psychology books and the sociology books, right? Women are very, we get our sense and of worth and value from our relationship. We need a man to validate us. It is very common among, whether it's our father, this, this is how a lot of like pastoral abuse happens, is be, it's, this, it's this deep driving need that we have for like male validation or male affirmation. This is what rules over us, okay? Um, on the man's side, um, you know, God talks about how cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Okay. I believe that this, that, that what God is identifying here is that Adam is now going to be driven by, uh, his need to prove and his worth and his value through his purpose. Okay. And we see this all the time, right? What are men driven by 
do more. Um, you know, your business has to be bigger, 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 more successful, more money. And um, there's a TV show, Billions. It's a it's a show it's a show on Showtime, and so it's you know a billionaire, right? And there's this great uh, line from Billions that I think is just so absolutely accurate. Bobby Axelrod is like the main character, and he says, "I don't care about the money. It's just a way of keeping score." And I think that that is just so true and perfect, right? You 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 have these men, and they have two hundred billion dollars and they don't really care it has nothing to do with the money they don't care about the money the money is just a way of keeping score right so this to me is the curse it's women will we get our sense of worth and identity from our relationships you know this is part of why like we look for the like the wealthy man, right? Like the bigger the get, the more it validates us or it affirms us. This is why there are there are women that will purposefully try and uh, sleep with married men, right? They'll, they'll purposely go out and they'll, they'll try and, you know, get a married man. Why? Because it, because it gives them a higher sense of worth or validation okay or theoretically like in our brain that's what we think right same thing with men right I just I need more money I need more money I need I just need this raise I need this promotion I need this it's this never-ending wheel where this is where we're trying to get our worth and our validation and we just keep going 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 and another reason that I that I think this is really true is I think what we're seeing happening now is you have people that are all they're doing is they're just trading their curse. Okay. It's, I don't, I don't want to get my sense of worth and validation from, uh, having to build a business or bring home the bacon or the money or the income or whatever. You know, I just want to get my sense of worth and validation from, from just being pretty. Like I want to be worshiped for being pretty, not for making a lot of money. And then you have people going, well, I want to be worshiped for making a lot of money and being really successful in the business world. Um, instead of just being pretty, like, I don't want to be uh, valued for that okay either way it's a trap none of those things are actually going to provide our worth and validation the point is we're trying to get back to the garden and before Adam and Eve ate the fruit where did they get their worth and their validation they got it from God okay I, I can't speak for anyone else but here's what I have found in my life and it took me here, it took me decades to get here. It took me almost 20 years to, to like unwind like all of the many um, sort of voices throughout my life that have told me all these different things about myself, right? And, and it was a very long process. It didn't happen overnight, but somewhere, somehow through all of the like unwinding and untwisting and untangling, it was like I was able to, to get back to this sort of like this genesis point I don't know how to explain this this is the best I can do but it was like somehow you know it was like it was like working your way through this giant tangled ball of Christmas lights to try and find like the one strand that is that's plugged into an energy source and it took me years and I and I remember to this day I literally remember the moment the moment when it was like I finally got down 
to the to the deepest root to the energy source i finally found the one strand that was like plugged into an outlet and i was able to unplug that one strand and everything else sort of fell away and it was like i was i was i was able to find my sense of worth and value in god it is god that gives us our sense of worth and value no man is ever going to actually be able to make you feel valuable no amount of money is ever going to actually be able to make you feel worthwhile and valuable you will just keep chasing 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 it's always I'm not quite there yet. I just need this thing. I just need that thing. I just need this thing. I just need that thing. I just need this raise. I just need this promotion. I just need to make a million dollars. I just need a boyfriend. I just need a husband. I just need a husband that loves me. I just need a husband that uh, can take care of me. I just, you know, it, it's it's always something more and more. And it's, ne- it's, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. None of these things are ever going to actually give us the sense of worth and value that we're trying to find, okay? So next week, I'm going to start on um, the circle makers. And this is something that we're going to talk about, right? Because it's rampant in our churches. I believe, I deeply believe that we have pastors that are doing this exact same thing they are chasing 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 their sense of worth and value by you know you know I need three campuses I need four campuses now I have 8,000 people now I have 10,000 people you know downloading my sermons every week now you know it's just it's bigger 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 better faster more uh more 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 okay it's a treadmill it's a dead end. You're you're a hamster on a wheel. It's never going to fulfill you. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, I just want to remind you that um, I have a limited series that should be dropping any day now, maybe next week at the latest. Uh, it's going to be on the TV show Yellowstone. You don't actually have to watch the TV show Yellowstone, but I'm going to talk about how it parallels the modern church. And it's it's not um, it's not a pretty picture. If you want to be a part of the Robin Thinks Pod community, it's still pretty new and pretty young and I'm working on it. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Robin Thinks Pod and I'll put links in the show notes. On Twitter, you can follow me at Robin Dash Thinks. Um, the, the Yellowstone uh, series is only going to be available to my Patreon supporters or my uh, Substack subscribers so I'll put links to all those things in the show notes um if you can support me that would be phenomenal um this is you know kind of all that I'm doing right now is really just trying to build this up um so I hope that this is uh helpful to you if you could like and share that would be phenomenal it would help me out so much and also um if you could leave a review on iTunes and a star rating that also helps me so much uh any of those things that you can do I know I've gotten um, several comments both on Substack and um, on various social media sites that, you know, this does seem to be helping quite a few people. And that's really like my hope and my goal. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, I'll see you next week to start on the Circle Maker.